0: Live from Woking, this is the Saturday Brunch with Emma Williams.
1: Hello, you're listening to the Saturday Brunch Show with Emma Williams. Today, it's all about the boys. As a female teacher, what strategies should I consider when managing boys' behavior? Do boys feel and react differently from girls in a classroom environment? How do I tread the line between authority and supporting boys with their
0: mental health. Live from Woking, this is the Saturday Brunch with Emma Williams on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio.
1: Good morning, teachers everywhere. Well, if you're anything like me, you've got one more week to go until half term. And I don't know about you, but I've been hearing a lot of mentions of that in the staff room. Lots of phrases such as crawling towards the end, all the usual rhetoric that we like to use in teaching in a profession where it's only ever seven weeks till the next holiday. So we are all indeed crawling towards the half term. Maybe we've all just slightly had enough, although at least the sun is shining. This morning I'm talking about managing boys' behaviour and how that perhaps relates to their mental health and how boys and men fit into society. We're in a profession, of course, that is actually dominated by women, perhaps not necessarily always in leadership, although in my current school I've only ever worked for a female head, the previous head was a female, and our current head is also female. Contrast my previous school, which has never had a female head. And that's another story altogether. Now, it seems to me that a lot of the methodologies used by some male teachers in handling boys' behaviour are, to be brutally honest, no use to me whatsoever. I remember an occasion couple of years ago, when I asked to go and observe one of our senior leaders who had uh, some very challenging boys in his business studies class, some of whom I was teaching. And the only conclusion I was able to draw was that I, I learned nothing. It was great to watch him. He had a fantastic relationship with these boys, but it was not the kind of relationship that I was able to form. He talked about common interests the football, to name uh, one obvious one, and related to them in a way that I simply could not. So I found myself thinking, this is a little bit of a problem in terms of um, staff development, what we expect of our staff, and how we expect them to interact with our boys. And yet, yesterday, I had a conversation with a male colleague who actually felt exactly the same as I do. He said he didn't always feel supported as a male teacher because he doesn't fit into the laddish, sporty, matey, banterish type of atmosphere. And he not only feels that in how he relates to boys in the school, but actually how he relates to colleagues as well. So all of this has really got me thinking about our relationships um, with boys, with male colleagues, and what it is that we need to be considering as female teachers. Now, of course, there's a wider question about how boys behave uh, as they become adults and how they then fit into society and what we can do as a society to support them in their development from boys to men. Well, I found a book called Exactly That, From Boys to Men, uh, written by Maggie Dent. She's also written a book called The Explosive Child. She's known as Australia's queen of common sense, which always sounds good. And she dishes out advice on parenting teen boys. So I found an article by her uh, in The Guardian from only about a year and a half ago. And it was about parenting boys in particular, focusing on how a mother relates to her sons. She says, Teen boys are a universally maligned group, frequently seen as a scourge to orderly society. Yet underneath the often hard to chat to, starving, forgetful, restless, accident-prone boy is a big heart yearning to be understood and valued. Any teen can struggle with relationships as they venture into adolescence, and some key biological drivers make this struggle real. There's the need for autonomy and independence, the hunger to belong with friends and peers, and the search for identity, which all teens experience during the child to adult transformation. These coincide with the brain, hormonal, physical, psychological, and emotional changes. Adolescence is the perfect storm for challenging relationships with parents. Our teen boys have some particular challenges that can drive their stress levels higher and make them more prone to emotional volatility, especially anger. When I was a high school teacher, she says, and a counsellor, I witnessed irrational outbursts as a teen boy threw a desk, kicked a backpack across the room or shoved another student aggressively. While these are completely unacceptable behaviours, Underneath them were often feelings of deep confusion, fear of failure, embarrassment, shame, and worst of all, intense vulnerability. Now, of course, she is very careful to differentiate there between her role as a counsellor and a peer supporter and her role as a teacher. And certainly strategies that I need to employ in the classroom as a teacher might differ from the ones she's talking about in this article, Which is the strategies that you might use as a parent. She argues that boys are conditioned to feel this way and I wonder what everyone thinks about this. She says research shows that parents treat boys and girls differently from infancy, handling boys more roughly. Physical punishment is applied more significantly to boys in many western countries. Little boys are spoken to more harshly and often told to toughen up when they're hurt or distressed. Indeed, it is still common for boys to experience sarcasm, shouting, ridicule and overt shaming throughout their schooling." I was quite shocked to read that. Obviously, she's writing on Australia, but I don't think much of Australia is dramatically different. Certainly, urban Australia is dramatically different from uh, urban settings in the UK. and it really did give me pause. She says, buried emotions stay stored in our nervous system, and with the growth of the limbic brain in the early teens, small things can trigger big emotions to erupt often spontaneously. So many teen boys have told me that they are stupid, feel a sense of inevitability that they will do bad things and that they are bad, such as the conditioning from childhood that creates belief and systems and mindset that affects adolescent boys deeply. Now with this, I completely agree with her. I have met girls with a similar fixed negative mindset, but I have to say that in my 20 years in teaching, I've experienced it far more commonly in boys. I can't do it, I'm stupid. Um, And it, it hurts me deeply every time I hear them say that, because you know, to some degree, you're already fighting a losing battle, if that's what they feel. The early brain pruning that occurs in adolescence, she writes, to make way for new growth can noticeably affect a teen's memory capacity and organisation skills. (laughs) I think we'd all agree with that one. This further adds to their frustration. Also, teen boys experience surges of testosterone, which create high levels of energy that must be discharged regardless of whether that's done in a healthy or an unhealthy way. And in one of my interviews later on, I'm going to be exploring healthy ways that boys can be helped with that necessity. I think her comment about organisation is really important too. There's quite a a debate raging on Twitter, as there always is. There's always a debate raging on Twitter. Uh, one One of the current debates raging on Twitter is whether it is caring supportive and a basic expectation to have equipment checks in school uh, every morning to make sure that students in your class have what they need for the day or whether that is a horrific aberration and an insult to their human rights um, you can probably tell what i think so um, let's continue with maggie dent she says Telling a teen boy not to make a choice that he deems fun or a chance to succeed will seldom change the outcome as he is seeking autonomy. And like most teens, resist being told what to do or not to do. Mm. Yeah, that's gonna be a challenge though as a teacher because reality is we have to spend a lot of our time telling them to do things they probably don't want to do. In my classrooms, she says, particularly the ones with 14 year old boys, There were endless antics that often made me think i was teaching a class of four-year-olds in larger bodies the slapping mock wrestling teasing and banter almost needs to be seen to be believed so much of this behavior is an attempt to make their mates laugh to ensure that they feel connected and appreciated there is nothing quite as bonding in this age group as an unexpected erection or loud fart that creates a moment of mirth now really interesting because I remember reading a book by Judy Bloom when I was a young girl now that dates me she was one of the huge adult authors uh, young adult authors at the time we were all reading her obsessively uh girls in my age group the vast majority of her books were written from a girl's point of view but she wrote one or two from a boy's point of view uh and one of those books had such a profound effect on me because I didn't have brothers, and I did, I went to an all-girls school, so I didn't really know any boys that were going through adolescence. And to read what adolescence felt like for a boy was really, really powerful. Now, the reason that uh, paragraph made me think about it is one of the things this boy had to deal with was the unexpected erections, and how stressful that can be Uh, and how embarrassing it can be in a classroom. So I'm quite interested to see her uh, using it as an example that's something that boys will laugh about because that's not the way it was portrayed in this book. Who knows? I'm not sure I'm comfortable asking a teenage boy. I'll have to ask some adult men that I know how they felt about it. So in this article, Maggie Dent gives some tips about parenting boys. And I thought they were really interesting and I wonder how much of them relate to how we might uh, mentor boys in schools or how we might teach them. Number one, she says, don't shame them. I worked out early in my teaching career and then as a mother of four sons that there was no maliciousness to this behaviour and while reminding them firmly but warmly of the inappropriate nature of their choices, I refused to shame them. This is a phase and it does pass. I think that's absolutely right. I think shaming is never a good idea. Uh, And I really like the phrase that she uses firmly, but warmly, warm, but strict. And it's certainly a route that a lot of schools are aiming to go down. Number two, she says, let them know they're not stupid. They're just developing. If you're parenting a boy in this window, it's important to remember the lens through which he is viewing the world. We should talk to our adolescents about the hormonal, brain and physical changes which will be affecting their behaviour and how they experience life. It's liberating for them to know that they're not stupid, they're just developing. It can be helpful for them and us to be reminded things will get easier once they're in their 20s. Absolutely. I, I talk to students about it a lot. Everyone always talks to students about hormones. And I think they, I in my experience, they tend almost to switch off if you keep banging on about their hormones. Um, But actually, if you talk to them about brain development, I found that's a lot more powerful. Um, And it, it is absolutely true. Their brains are going through a similar process to what they went through when they were a toddler. That same laying down brand new pathways same level of expansion it's why teens are generally always locked in the grip of an existential crisis because their brain is literally exploding Um, and i really do talk to all students boys and girls about that Uh, just recently i had a girl say to me that she keeps having these almost out-of-body experiences where she feels like she's just observing the world from the outside. And I said, and, and I was trying to be really reassuring and said that is a completely normal part of development at her age. And I vividly remember having those experiences myself. I actually also have a memory of it happening when I was four years old, a similar process where, where your brain is doing that, oh my God, I'm an individual that is separate from my parents and I'm alone in the world. Um, but of course, as a teen, um you you have more of the vocabulary and more of the understanding to perhaps make it an even more frightening experience because you perhaps start to think that you're going mad and that you're the only one that feels like that um i think so i think it's really important to reassure them um i read a lot as as a kid so that really helped me to realize i wasn't alone Um, and i think kids that do read a lot of kids are reading authors like patrick ness who writes, he writes for, for, I would say his books are gender neutral. They're read by boys and girls, which is relatively unusual. A lot of them are written from a boy's perspective. In fact, most of them come to think of it. Um, And he really writes about the darkness. And I've heard him speak so um, impressively about it, saying, you know, because his books are quite controversial because some of them are so dark. But he said something like, unless we write about these things, we are abandoning teenagers to experience these things alone. And I think it's absolutely right. Teenagers have these feelings and if they can read about them and understand that those feelings are quite normal and part of the process of being their age, I certainly found it very reassuring when I was their age. Anyway, back to Maggie. Uh, Suggestion number three, she says, don't forget the loving names. Now, this is obviously as a parent, rather than a teacher. As frustrating and challenging as this phase can be, we can break the cycle of shaming our boys through simple things like remembering the power of using terms of endearment with him and calling him loving names and reminding him that you love him fierce, ferociously, no matter what. It actually did make me think about my language as a teacher as well, because now I'm that little bit older, it's occurred to me that I tend to speak to students in a way that perhaps might be considered a bit more motherly um, than I did when I was perhaps in my twenties and early thirties. And I will sometimes call them something like my love or my lovely. And I found myself thinking, I wonder if I use that more with girls than boys. And I have to admit to myself that I think that I do. So I've made a mental note to change that and to make sure that I use that with the boys as well, because I think I am unwittingly doing exactly what Uh, Maggie's written about which is using different language with boys interesting isn't it number four she says nagging them is like shouting into a void well I think that's true over the years I learned with my sons that lecturing and nagging a teenage boy is shouting into a void learning the secrets to effective boy communication by paying attention to building a rapport timing tone of voice and avoiding direct eye contact are much more effective ways to communicate. That's interesting about the eye contact. Um, In one of my interviews later, I think Cathy will talk about right at the start of the interview, um, I ask her about the context in which it's best to start a conversation with a teenage boy. And she certainly seems to say that sitting opposite them and eyeballing them can actually seem quite threatening. Suggestion five. Make your home a safe place for friends. My home and heart were always open to their mates, she says. There were firm, loving boundaries, but my sons and their friends knew our home was a safe place. We don't live in tribes anymore, but our teens still need to be surrounded by good folk and family who care about them and act as lighthouses who guide them. She's a really nice phrase. And in the interview later, you'll hear Cathy talking about anchors people who anchor you, which I also thought was a lovely way of putting it. Number six, marinate them in stories of good men. Men who've made mistakes and failed publicly, but who've recovered by taking responsibility and being accountable for their actions. Yeah, it's quite topical at the moment, isn't it? We need more than just parents to raise boys to healthy manhood. I mean, when your role models are refusing to take responsibility for what they have said and done, not mentioning any specific prime minister, um, it's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult to persuade boys that this is what being a man is about when that isn't being modelled by leaders in public life. Number seven, love them as they are not for what you think they should be. Every teen boy is yearning to be seen, really heard and loved as he is, not as we think he should be. They are way more vulnerable than we have been conditioned to believe. We need to love and respect our sons, especially when they cannot love or respect themselves yet." Which I thought, again, is an interesting way for her to finish that, actually part of the development process is learning to love and respect yourself and again that has to be modeled for them um i've spoken before on this show about the language that people use towards themselves and how important that is and i try as much as i can to train the students not to do things like call themselves stupid it's just uh, again would would they say it to a friend (laughs) maybe some boys would and i think the way male friendships work is again something that I find quite interesting and how how quick boys and men are to criticise each other. And whether that is, is it always just a joke, or can it be extremely unhealthy. So I've got two interviews uh, for my show today, uh, with two different um, from two different points of view about this process of, of relating to boys and helping boys with their development into manhood. So my first interview, um, I will play a section from, gonna, I've divided it into two sections because I think um, our conversation very much fell into to two different parts. Um, so after we hear from our sponsors and hear the news and tech briefing, um, I'm gonna play you the first part of my interview uh, with Kathy, and I'll tell you a little bit more about her
0: articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.wetherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more.
2: Introducing Uplearn. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen great improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and Arc Schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn uplear uk.
0: Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, NearPod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term so no matter what 2022 brings Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today
2: if you're listening to this then we know we share one thing in common a passion wwwwitherslackgroupcouk forward slash careers and be part of our future
0: this is teachers talk radio and this is teachers talk radio news
3: perpetrators are finding new ways to groom and abuse younger children including through social media and dating apps according to a report by the Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse. The inquiry, chaired by Professor Alexis Jay, concluded that local authorities and police forces are struggling to keep pace with the changing nature of child sexual exploitation. The report warned that there is a false assumption that exploitation by organised networks is on the wane. Professor Jay previously investigated abuse in Rotherham, and said that there may also be a fear that places will be labelled another Rotherham or another Rochdale. The report Mm. found that child sexual exploitation has now become a hidden problem, in danger of being underreported. Six areas were focused on as a part of the inquiry. St Helens, Tower Hamlets, Swansea, Durham, Bristol and Warwickshire. They are areas that have not already been subject to investigations into CSE. The report emphasises that too many victims of child sexual exploitation are treated as offenders and states that more effort must be made to prosecute perpetrators effectively. The report makes six recommendations, including improving the identification of and the response to child sexual exploitation. Mm -hmm. Professor Jay said the sexual exploitation of children by networks is not a rare phenomenon and not confined to a small number of areas and that all agencies, including education, should be alert to the signs. According to a report in The Guardian, one in eight primary pupils in England had COVID last week. Figures released on Friday by the Office for National Statistics suggest that infections may now have peaked in primary age pupils, but the surge continues to cause disruption to attendance. Prevalence also remains high amongst secondary schools with an infection rate in England of one in 15. The Department for Education has launched its new Education Staff Wellbeing Charter, which applies to staff in England. On the Government website are details of the declaration of support for, and set of commitments to, the well-being and mental health of everyone working in education. All state-funded schools and colleges are invited to sign up to the Charter, and the website has links to a range of resources. An article on the Daily Monitor website discusses fire safety in schools in Uganda following a fire at a school in Kawempe in January. The fire broke out in the girls dormitories and left four pupils dead and three seriously injured. The Uganda National Fire Protection Association reports that around 5,000 fires occur in institutions of learning each year. Many are now calling for a greater focus on fire safety to prevent loss of life, damage to property and disruption to learning. This should include installing firefighting equipment in schools and clear identification of escape routes as well as smoke detectors and fire alarms. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio weekend news with Joe Fox.
0: This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing
4: on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week we're going to take a look at teaching online. Marmite comes to mind when I think about teaching online. I actually like it, but it's my job and I'm surrounded by gadgets to assist me. A lot of teachers hate it. If you think about it, for 90% of the current population of teachers, delivering a lesson online is something they've not even been trained in. They signed up to be in the classroom with a group of pupils. I'm not gonna go into the depths of the delivery platform. That's normally a choice that's already made for you by technology leaders in schools. I'm gonna give you a couple of free tools that work in a browser so don't need installing and can be used for engagements in the classroom and easily adapted to use online. First up, we all love Kahoot. Did you know you can set a Kahoot to be self-paced rather than live? Simply click the assign button and you have an instant self-paced quiz for a homework, a starter, or a progress check. If you need to take it online, share the link, and off you go. If you use lots of YouTube clips and websites, check out Wakelet. Share collections of links in a meaningful way, for free. My favourite use for this is to group my YouTube clips for topics. Not only are they played back with less distractions, but I can share a group of links for revision or to flip a lesson. Again, if I have to teach online, one link can lead to many. Just remember to check your school's policy on using websites such as YouTube for online teaching. If you have access to devices in the classroom, why not try Mentimeter? Create interactive presentations, take votes or build word clouds from participants' answers to improve engagement, assess learning and inspire discussion, or if you love white try whiteboard.fi. As a teacher, you can see all your class's whiteboards and answers, know who's interacting and who's not. You can even show a QR code for ease of joining. I could go on and on. The idea is to test these things out when you're with your class and there's no pressure. Then, should you need to teach online, you'll feel more comfortable, there'll be fewer issues, and most importantly, you'll see if pupils are engaging. I hope you consider bringing a bit of tech into your classroom. As always, please test things work in your setting before you use them. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk
0: Radio. Live from Woking, this is the Saturday Brunch with Emma Williams.
1: Welcome back to the Saturday Brunch Show with me, Emma Williams. So today it's all about the boys. Thinking about what strategies I should consider as a female teacher when managing boys' behaviour. Thinking about whether boys feel and react differently from girls in a classroom environment. And how I tread the line between authority and supporting boys with
0: their mental health. Live from Woking, this is the Saturday Brunch with Emma Williams on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio.
1: Last Sunday, I interviewed Dr. Kathy Weston, who is a great supporter of Teachers Talk Radio in general, and my show in particular. Uh, She was stuck at home, self-isolating, as were her her husband and her two sons. Uh, And she basically begged me to interview her because she was so bored. That's typical Kathy. Uh, Rather than sit and watch Netflix, she just wanted something to do. And she is particularly passionate about the topic that I was looking at. She's one of the UK's experts on parental engagement in children's lives and learning, the co-author of two books on the subject, and the founder of Tooled Up Education, which is a digital library of evidence-based resources for schools on emotional health and well-being. So the first excerpt that I'm gonna play you from our interview explored boys' mental health in general. And I started by asking her advice on how it's best to begin those difficult conversations with boys who may be reluctant to open up. I've read advice that a good place to talk to your teen is in the car. Do you think that's good advice to start a conversation in a relaxed environment like that?
5: Absolutely. I mean, sitting them down across the table and even asking them what the matter is is often ineffective. But we do know that if you're out for a walk, for example, you're doing something else. That that might be a very useful time. You know, you're out in the fresh air. It feels less pressurized. There's lots going on, and you might you might very casually ask your son, you know, do you feel sad more times than you feel good? I've noticed you feel a little bit sad a, a lot of the time. Is that how you've been feeling? Those were two questions that Shirley Reynolds, the professor of teenage mental health, has mentioned to me. Side-by-side conversations are important. I really encourage, Um, it might be a student or, or your own child to text you. They can text you what they're worried about. I've done it myself in the house with my teenager in another room. And said, if you're not comfortable telling me or asking me, text me, which mm-hmm. sounds ridiculous, but they whatever works. And I think, you know, the main thing is when your child or a student opens up to you, it is incredibly important to validate the way they're feeling first. So rather than jumping in and providing solutions or as a parent telling them, don't be ridiculous, you were having a laugh with your friends yesterday. How would you be sad today? No, we all absolutely have to validate and say i can see that you're upset the the sort of the literature on coping has demonstrated that there are particular issues uh, with boys around emotional literacy and traditionally we know for example that there are a couple of terms you might be familiar with like masking the emotion putting a brave face on if you like and there was actually research done a couple of years ago by Time to Change and they actually identified back then that half of teenage boys in Britain wouldn't wouldn't feel comfortable talking to a parent about their mental health their levels of stress anxiety or depression and many of them would choose to put a, a brave face on rather than talk about their mental health problems very very recent research by a lady called Jessica Radez um, just last year, identified again. She was looking at barriers to young people seeking mental health advice and help and support, and she was looking into the reasons for that. And maybe counterintuitively, she discovered that boys are much more concerned about the impact of seeking help on other members of their family, like their parents. So maybe we might think that is a little bit counterintuitive, but. You know they, they didn't want to worry their parents a little bit more than the girls so i think that within her own work jessica radez's work as well she points out that parents reported within that study that their sons may have not sought help because they didn't see it as masculine the indication is that there's something culturally going on despite the fact we've got rugby players talking about mental health and we're tackling toxic masculinity where we can, and we're raising awareness about these issues. There is something lost in the translation. And that we, we have to sort of work out on a very individual level in the classroom and in school culture level, what is stopping that young man from opening up and saying, I'm struggling. I think sometimes we miss when a young man uh, opens up and says, "There's." struggling because they, they might communicate it in a particular way. We know from uh, Professor Shirley Reynolds' work on teenage depression that boys can often show irritability as a symptom of depression, for example, rather than crying and, and in a way that you might traditionally expect that to happen. So there are little nuances in there. And just sort of making sure that when a child does, set, does give you the impression that they're not Hoping, you know, they are maybe in their bedroom all day and they're not seeing their friends, all those interesting indicators. You know, we listen, we try and listen out for changes in that child's personality and behaviour. And that's for everyone, whether you're a teacher or a parent. There's a lot to think about what it feels like to be a boy growing up in Britain today. You know, we might have all the posters in the classroom wall saying, speak to someone, ring Samaritans, ring young minds. But does that actually translate down to that 15, 16 year old? Who are they going to reach out to? And do they feel really able to do that in a way that feels safe for them? Do you
1: think that boys function differently in their friendship groups? I mean, I've often felt that boys seem to bond over success and women are quite comfortable bonding over our failures that that sort of cements our friendship is there any research to support that hunch there
5: is research around um the what boys value in friendship and it's always athleticism strength even with little boys you can see them measuring their arms you know against a a friend or you know recently a friend of my 12 year olds came over and the first thing he did was made his friends stand up against the wall and see who was the tallest you know so there is, that is echoed in the research literature. They value who's the sportiest, you know. They, they appreciate who's the strongest in that kind of social pack. From what I understand from the literature on girls' friendship, you know, it's a little bit more complex. They value kindness. They're a little bit more emotionally literate already and they're tuning in and valuing different things. So I think that sometimes in households where boys aren't expected to cry or we are labeling that sort of behavior uh, as as something we don't want to see, Um, you know, telling them to man up, all those sort of interesting dynamics can be harmful. Because once that is shut down, why would they want to say that they're struggling again?
1: Mm. Schools need to think about spotting the signs as well. Certainly, I, I think we've become more aware of boys acting out certain behaviors that might actually be a sign that a boy is struggling emotionally and i think I think we are getting better at that and some of
5: the indicators for example we know that 92 percent of teenagers who end up with a diagnosis of clinical depression it starts as a sleep problem right wow So, if you have a very sleep deprived child in your secondary classroom, I personally would view that as a little red flag or something to explore. If mom and dad are saying, Have you noticed anything? You know, he won't come out of his room. He doesn't want to do anything. But you know, it's looking at the whole picture. But I think sleep deprivation, or change in eating habits, all those things are really important red flags in schools that potentially get lost. How a child talks about themselves is very, very important. In fact, there's some very interesting research. The way in which children talk about themselves can be an indicator that they're expecting, you know, um, going on to harm themselves. So I think in general terms, paying attention to the language that a child is using about themselves is very
1: important. Do you think that we expect boys to act like girls? And that's part of the problem that the vast majority of adult males I know don't talk about their feelings as often or in the same way as as all, most of the women that I know. Now, is that because we've made them that way or are men just wired differently and we need to be more sensitive to how they are expressing their feelings, which may be different from how girls and women are expressing their feelings?
5: I think we all need to be better educated about the signs of of, of distress and mm. that is very different. Low mood is very different to depression, right? Yeah. Um, you know, being upset, you know, after you lose at a football match is one thing, punching the wall and fracturing your wrist is a different thing. So we just have to be really clear about, you know, the persistence of a change, and making sure you know, that we're not ignoring that kind of persistent change in mood, that seems to be the advice anyway, that, you Mm. know, depression researchers like Shirley Reynolds, for example bringing young people along with us as part of these solutions is very very important it is exciting to think that young people themselves can have so many answers in this area so a good starting point for asking those questions is ask young people themselves you know if i had a set if i was the head of a secondary school i would be making sure that all young people have audited the pathways to support within the school would it be helpful for you to have an email that says upset at westoncollege.com? would it help to have a peer-led initiative where you can start looking at how to spot the signs of distress in one another it's not just about having emergency help when they're feeling distressed but they have to understand the good pillars of mental health feeling purposeful Exercise, having a balance in your life, doing things that you love and enjoy, all of those things are very well evidenced as being very strong pillars for mental health, good mental health. But then, when there is a struggle before they are in a state of crisis, they should have mapped out and thought about who can I text? Have I practiced asking for help? So, they have to practice those routes towards getting help as well. And I think part and parcel of the dialogue about mental health is making sure we're not sort of over pathologizing as well. They have to understand that life is full of ups and downs. Your girlfriend might dump you, you feel terrible, right? But you're gonna be all right. So we have to sort of get go back to the fact that yeah we might have an awful day we might have a good day life's full of a rainbow of different emotions and that is part and parcel of that emotional literacy if you like mm, oh I totally
1: agree I, I think I, I think I've used the word pathologizing about three times this week in school <laughs> for various things that have happened because I totally agree it's about preparing them for life isn't it and and I think we're very quick to jump from either everything's completely fine or oh my god you've got really serious problems and we all need to be running around and panicking it's actually no this is life can be really hard and rather rubbish at times and that is normal and i think being honest oh, right. with with kids about that and telling them there are going to be times where you're going to feel really low
5: you've got to be ready that's for right it. and that's part and parcel of adolescence. who didn't cry themselves to sleep listening oh. I think when they were a teenager i think i spent half my teenage years crying hello <laughs> that's kind of normal because if you're in the middle of some existential crisis you know when you're a teenager yeah or at least you should be <laughs> you Should be, and you've got puberty and you're in love and you fall out with your friends you know there is a rhythm to that that is yeah uh, but a relatively easy thing for schools to do is to preempt a, a sort of a, a time of distress and making sure every child in that school has mapped out who they can go to but also what their own individual coping strategies are because you and i know if we feel really really down and you're upset it's very hard to remember who you can speak to but if you've actually articulated that before the mental health crisis arrives the help is a little bit more accessible i like to think about anchors who are the people who anchor you
1: So, Cathy spoke really well there about not pathologizing normal feelings in teenagers. And I think that's really important, and I think we tend to do it particularly with boys. Um, you know, I, I really, I'm not keen on phrases like toxic masculinity. I, I I worry that it pathologizes the very fact of being male, and I think we need to be very careful about that. The fact that we need to talk about to them about the pillars of mental health so that they learn the strategies that support good mental health. But I also love her idea of schools and families mapping out and planning what you do when you're feeling bad. I think that's really good advice. I also think it's really important to remember what she said about the signs of depression possibly being different in boys irritability and poor sleep patterns, early indicators of depression in boys and men, and I think that is really, really important, especially as boys don't tend to share as openly uh, with others how they feel. It doesn't perhaps come as naturally to them, and we could argue for decades whether that is nature or nurture. The reality is it is the way it is, and I think we have to look for those signs. Leanne's just texted in saying, I wish there were more Pastoral support in primary schools sometimes. I feel like I'm just not qualified to deal with some of the children's issues. Yeah, I think it's absolutely right. Um, I think we're very lucky in my secondary school. We have a, a counsellor and she's um, spoken to the staff as a whole uh, on a couple of occasions. And she also has an open workshop where we can go along if we're concerned about children in a particular year group. So she, she, she had a phase where she did one year group per fortnight and that was that was there for staff if they felt that they needed support so um yeah i think it uh it, it, it that was really helpful and if, if some of us that were working with for example one particularly very vulnerable girl that we were all extremely worried about i think it made staff feel that they had somebody uh to to go to for support now i took i spoke to kathy at length and something that I'm going to play you more of our conversation shortly, because the elephant in the room is the behaviour of boys and the men that those boys then turn into. And I think I couldn't let this show go ahead without at least considering the WhatsApp messages that uh, have been revealed circulating amongst male officers in the Met. According to reports published last week, disgraceful misogyny, discrimination and sexual harassment have been discovered within the ranks of the Met Police by the police watchdog, the Independent Office for Police Conduct. Officers were found to have joked about rape and exchanged offensive social media messages, leading to the IOPC to make recommendations uh, for change. In its report, the IOPC said We believe these incidents are not isolated, nor simply the behavior of a few bad apples, which is perhaps the most shocking bit of the whole report. I mean, we all know that some men make these remarks, but I think that bit where they feel it it isn't isolated, that it's actually quite widespread, is the bit that made me most anxious. The inquiry was launched in March, 2018, into nine linked independent investigations concerning serving police officers from the Met of the 14 officers investigated two were dismissed for gross misconduct and put on the barred list preventing future employment with the police now if you don't if you haven't come across this news story you don't know the content of the whatsapp messages i will give you a flavor however it is frankly impossible to read them aloud uh, in any uh, decent context because the language used is so horrific but according to the report they found numerous messages about domestic violence plus sexually explicit misogynistic and demeaning conversations so one conversation between two male police officers officer one my bird won't stop taking the blank swear to god i'm going to smack her officer two slap her one officer one i'll bleep do it She's bleeped off home. A separate WhatsApp conversation between another two police officers. Officer one. I bleep need to take my bird out. Won't see her till next Saturday. Then I have to work. Promise to take her out the Friday after. Making up to her from when I backhanded her. Officer two. Grab her by the bleep. Officer one. You ever slapped your missus? Officer one it makes you, it makes them love you more. Seriously, since I did that, she won't leave me alone. Now I know why these daft bleeps are getting murdered by their bleep boyfriends. Knock a bird about and she will love you. Human nature, they are biologically programmed to like that bleep. Officer two, LMAO. Officer one, I'm right though. So that gives you an idea of the kind of conversations going on between two police officers that the IOPC says and I quote is not isolated so as our conversation progressed Kathy and I explored the inescapable reality that these kinds of attitudes still circulate in society and are perhaps still the norm for many and I asked her what on earth it is that we can do about it
5: if you ask me, what do we need to change? We need to make sure that every single boy in secondary school it has been spoken to and understands how would, how they how rejection feels, how to navigate rejection, all of those issues to do with coercive control. All of that is to do with what we've talked about earlier, which is emotional literacy and the need to talk about how do you cope with that rejection, manage it. How high is your self esteem? through those teen years. I was uh, watching Twilight, you know, the Twilight series. So toxic. There was a scene in it. The girl is obviously loved by two men. And there's a scene where the one, she loves Robert Pattinson. The other man, the other boy in it says to her in this scene, you love me, you just don't know it yet. pushes her in the face and then grabs her forcibly and kisses her and it is portrayed as romantic. That's the message my 15 year old is getting from that, how you get a girl, you force your way, it's a a sign of strength.
1: It is but actually I think that's been going on in literature. I mean it goes back to the Brontes, you know, the, the sort of romantic lead is always controlling either borderline aggressive or actually aggressive. I mean, look at Darcy, the man's a complete, you know, sociopath. And yet he's held up as this, you know, wonderful, romantic lead. And I when I was writing for young adults, um, I that's when I was I started reading more of what what girls and boys were reading. I was just horrified. I was horrified by the Twilight series. Absolutely appalled. The, that was the absolute you know peak of what all teenage girls were fantasizing about and i was trying to say to them girls you know this is awfully toxic you know this is this, there's nothing good about this at all um, yeah there's another
5: cartoon that they all watch called 12 monkeys or something and i it's a 15 but it's a cartoon so it sounds quite innocuous you know mm. and then watching it and the feet the male superhero occasionally will grab the female superhero's breast whenever he feels like he just sort of grabs it okay yeah i said you know that sexual assault in real life
1: so that's the turn uh, that our conversation took and i think it is really important for parents teachers and all role models for young people boys and girls to talk about what it is that they're reading and hearing and listening to. And to do that, you need to watch, listen to and read what they are, I'm afraid. Um, uh, It was certainly an eye-opener for me when I decided to do a bit of writing for that age group. I was horrified, genuinely horrified, by the sorts of male role models that were held up for teenage girls and therefore teenage boys as the ideal, although, as I pointed out in that conversation, I think it goes it goes back throughout history. So I'm by no means saying that I think that good literature is not being written. I just think we really need to think about why it is that these controlling males are still being held up as the romantic ideal. Uh, it, it, it's, it's fascinating, actually. Um, I read one book that didn't fit that mould and actually really had different uh, male romantic leads. It was still, it was still romance, but it had the, the the boys in it were very different and it didn't do very well, but there you go. It's depressing. Uh, so I wanted to talk about, uh, before I introduce my next interview with Rhianne, um, times when I have felt vulnerable as a female teacher in the presence of boys, because I ask Rhianne about this and and she doesn't feel Uh, that. And it'd be really interesting for you to hear uh, how she handles uh, boys. But um, I I have thought about it a great deal. And there have been times where I have felt vulnerable, uh, just in terms of being a small female. So generally in the corridors, it can be challenging. Um, Teenagers are seem to be just increasingly enormous these days (laughs) and i'm very short which doesn't help um i mean in some ways it can be an advantage because i think when i'm speaking to boys they don't see me as somebody to square up to and actually that can be very powerful and um believe it or not although i'm admitting to feeling vulnerable uh, around boys on occasion i have actually very instinctively jumped in between boys who looked like they're about to start fighting. And it's not something that I would plan to do or recommend. I just it it was just sheer instinct. Um, And actually, they they immediately fall away, they fall, they step back. And I think it's because I'm female, whereas I think if a male teacher did something similar, that might be more difficult and that they might find themselves in a position of having then to use their physicality to prevent what might happen next. Whereas what was interesting was that the instinct of those boys was to to drop back when I stepped in. Um, but I think it can be difficult. I have been rescued on one or two occasions by male members of staff. I remember one occasion many, many years ago uh, when a boy decided to block my exit from a classroom (laughs) Uh, and I was very very glad to see the uh, six foot seven teacher appear behind him and quite literally grab his collar uh, and uh, pull him out of my way. Um, There are times when you just need a man uh, unfortunately Um, and that's when you know when physicality is required. Um, It can be it can be something that you can really appreciate. Um, so I've got Leanne, a fellow host, I think a fellow host calling in. Hello, Leanne. Are you there? Hi, Emma. How are you? I'm really good. How are you?
6: Yeah, okay. Well, no, not much of a voice, but fine. <laughs> <laughs> not too bad. I just thought it was really interesting. I taught year six last year. And um, <clears throat> there were two classes and the school decided to split them into three just because they'd missed so much in the pandemic and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, of course, they, they, some of the children were split up with a bit of thought behind it. And I, I just it was so interesting. I had this one child, a, a boy who it was just like Jekyll and Hyde, like in the classroom. He, he was like a mouse. like You wouldn't hear a peep out of him. And then when he was with his friends from some of the other classes, it's like he was a different child. And I remember the girls, it was just, you know, they were who they were in my class. And if they were with the girls from the other classes, they were pretty much the same. I just
1: thought so interesting. That is, yeah. So was he split up from those boys? Deli- was that a deliberate tactic? I believe so, yes. Yeah. yeah.
6: Very wise. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had I mean, I mean, had conversations with him about it as well. I, I was just thinking I, I learned a lot from teaching those year sixes and kind of with behaviour not to just jump to conclusions. Um, I think you, you touched on it just to kind of have chats and wait for the explanation before you kind of make the assumption about the behaviour. Um, mm. I had a lot of chats with him about kind of just like, why do you think we're in this class? And why do you think that kid's in that class? And so I think especially with the year six like why not have those open conversations about it um, I think yeah. it can really help them in the future
1: yeah I think asking open questions I think it applies to everything a, a good friend of mine was a nurse and she specialized in geriatrics and she remembers working with this old man who everyone said well, he's just he's just do you know he doesn't yeah. know what's going on and she said but actually a lot of what he did was quite rational so he poured his soup into his slippers. And everyone said, "Oh, you know, there you go. He's absolutely mad." And yeah. and Ros just said, "What? Why did you do that?" And he said, "Well, I don't like the soup, and I was a bit worried about what to do with it. And I thought you'd tell me off." So, I... and you think oh, no. well, actually that was that was quite a yeah. rational yes. turn of events really, yeah, for somebody who felt vulnerable in a hospital. So absolutely. sometimes behaviour isn't as as crazy as it seems once when you just ask the question, "Why?" Yeah. <laughs>
6: And I've even I've tried to think like that a bit more with my reception kids as well because I think like you know you've got one that sort tends to do the wrong thing all the time. It's like well why is she doing it? She's kind of searching for attention, and then you've got one that kind of is very emotional. And I think well what's the background to it? Because I don't think those kids are doing it for no reason. And and I kind of learned that from
1: my older kids. Mm. Yeah absolutely really important to reflect isn't it and sometimes of course very difficult in the moment (laughs) no absolutely
6: yeah that was my just my side note oh thank you
1: (laughs) thank you so much for calling in because my my, I don't have any live guests today so it's quite nice to have somebody to talk to
6: no worries Like, like I said I kind of wish I was a bit more qualified in the psychology of children sometimes
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, I think there's some really good literature about there. The uh, interview I'm about to play with Ria, and she, she references a book called Boys Don't Try, um, which is definitely on my list to read. Uh, I haven't got around to it yet, but I might make that on my list this summer. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, yeah, there's some really good stuff out there. No, definitely. Oh, well, it was a great show.
6: Um, oh, thanks, Leanne. <laughs> Take care. <Get> sidebar. <laughs> Bye. All right.
1: Yeah, so, um, thinking about my vulnerability as a female teacher, um, I've said that sometimes I felt vulnerable in the corridor. Uh, there was one particular incident that I think I've mentioned before uh, that happened to me last year with some Year 11 boys, and I it has stayed with me ever since it happened, not because I wasn't supported by the school, because I was, However, it really was one of those incidents that has stayed with me because much as I was supported by the school, I'm not sure that those all of those boys who did what they did really comprehended that they had done something wrong. So I was on duty, this was back when the school was still in bubbles, and I was on duty in the on the edge of the year eight area. And that buffered onto the edge of the year 11 area, and one year 11 boy came running along, basically behaving like a, a year eight boy, um, uh, however, in a 16-year-old's body, so let's face it, a, a man's body, and he sort of came swooping over and yelled in my face and then went swooping off again. And I thought, oh, okay, right, what's this about? So I, I wandered over to where he had headed off to, which is of course where all his mates were, and just said, you know, what what was what was that about? Um now obviously if he had then reacted with, oh, oh no, sorry miss, and we we just could have had a little bit of a conversation. Um, I might or might not have issued a behaviour point, you know, a low level sanction. Um, but that would have been the end of it however he didn't seem to think well he certainly didn't think that he'd done anything wrong um behaving that way towards me he didn't understand that it was disrespectful and potentially frightening and uh, then what happened is that i was then surrounded by this whole group of six to eight year 11 boys um all of whom were significantly taller than me big hulking lads uh pushing shoving laughing pointing surrounding me and i tried to and this was probably a mistake with hindsight um i tried to speak to the group about i said well boys we 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 actually need to just take a pause here and think about how you're coming across you know i'm I'm sort of small female on my own here and you know this this circle of you feels a little bit intimidating um and that just seemed to make the situation worse and one of the very significant phrases that one of the boys used was you came over here uh in quite a challenging way as if you know implying that this is our territory who the hell do you think you are coming onto our patch um so the conversation went very bad I remained extremely calm but with hindsight I, I probably should have simply walked away and said believe you me boys I'll be following this up but I probably should remove myself from the situation because really it, <laughs> the conversation was not going well it was not progressing and um, the bell went and so we all had to go on our way so I was saved by the bell to some degree I of course had a lesson next because that's the nature of teaching um, but. I did get straight onto our school system. We use class charts and um, managed to identify a couple of the boys. Emailed patrol and said, "Right, I want. I really want these boys picked up. They've just been really unpleasant towards me. I want those boys picked up. There were five or six others that I'm not sure of their identities. I want you to get their names and." Um, and long story short that that was done over the next day or two and i i then met with that group of boys with the support of the male head of year and male head of behavior and i was actually talking to a colleague yesterday about it and he was saying that there's an interesting dynamic there in terms of do you have to bring in the men to get respect uh i don't know i've got mixed feelings about it because i totally think that's that's a problem i think there is a bit of a problem in that male teachers perhaps gain more respect than female teachers however on the other hand the sort of things that i wanted to speak to them about which is how boys and men need to behave around girls and women in certain contexts um i felt i wanted the support of adult men behind me because i wanted it not just to be a woman making the argument. I wanted men to be saying, boys, this isn't okay." You know, I'm telling you it's not okay. Um, So it's a tricky one. Um, And the, the male teachers that I had with me were really good. They were really supportive. I was able to say my piece, and they did back me up. And I would say that at least half of the boys did fully seem to take on board how they had come across. But what troubled me and what was most interesting was that it was actually the boys that really weren't the ringleaders that felt like that. I think it was the ones that were just hanging around and letting it happen and laughing. They clearly felt bad. And I, I tried to say to them, look, you you didn't say or do anything overtly aggressive. However, you also didn't make it stop. And And I made the point to them that if as it was, I was a teacher in a school, I knew I was going to follow up, so I wasn't frightened. But I said, if we had been in a different context, for example, in the middle of town, not in a school, I would have been afraid of you. And I, and I, think, I thought it was really important to make that point to them. Do you, do you want to become the sort of men that women are afraid of? And I think what worried me is I felt that one, of two of, one or two of them did want to become the sort of men that women are afraid of. And I think that's maybe a harsh reality uh, that I perhaps wasn't prepared for at the time. But I think there are, there are I, I come across boys in secondary school who I think are already so far down that path that I struggle to see how they'll come back from it. It's very worrying. And then of course you get the result, which is the kind of things that I have read to you on this show Uh, said by Met Police. So I'm going to play the interview that I had with Rhian Bourne, um, who uh, is a technology teacher in a state comprehensive in Wales, and she is a passionate advocate for practical strategies and education in the field of mental health. And she's doing some incredible work in this area. I don't think she'd say that about herself but Rian is one of those people like so many people in our profession who just quietly gets on with doing a simply incredible job working with young people. Fundamentally she's a tech teacher that's who she is and that's what she does but the level of skill and care that she applies when working with some of our most vulnerable and let's face it most difficult and frustrating youngsters really is second to none so i started her interview by asking her what it's like what it was like making the shift to her new school and how she's found it being in a subject that is traditionally considered a male environment
7: i'll start by saying in my first week in this new school three students said I've never seen a girl tech teacher before the two men that are in the department teach engineering and construction and then the women teach food and nutrition and textiles so I'm the first <laughs> female who's gone over to the other side and I'm teaching engineering so that was an interesting way to start first of all.
1: Do you see aggression in your school and as a female teacher is that something you found challenging? Um, I don't actually not
7: I mean they they'll stand up suddenly if they're frustrated you know pushing their chair back they make a lot of noise but um, I've never felt threatened uh, in any of the schools I've been to I've never felt threatened I start most of my classes with if you feel angry upset annoyed frustrated just go outside because it it, is too dangerous to have that sort of emotion in the workshop and I explain that to them And I say, as long as I can see through the window and you're not disturbing anyone else's lessons, then you have the freedom to just go outside and calm down and I'll come find you in five minutes.
1: Yes, of course. You've got health and safety to think about in your subject, which as a Latin teacher is perhaps (laughs) of less concern to me.
7: (laughs) Yes, quite a few of the students will take that up. They all know that they're welcome to go outside to, to calm down. In my experience, boys tend to get quite angry. When they feel disrespected and one thing i speak to them about is how there's two different types of respect there's respect me as a human being and then there's respect me as an authority and what i've noticed is some of the boys will often feel disrespected as an authority and then choose to disrespect you as a human being and that's i think once you point that out to them they then go oh yeah okay because one of the phrases I've been saying quite a lot recently is, sorry, have I been rude to you? Have I been rude or disrespectful to you? Cause I would understand if you then were rude back to me, but I don't think I've been rude. I think I've been quite polite. I've asked you kindly. I haven't raised my voice. Why are you now shouting at me? And then once they realize actually their reaction isn't equal to my reaction, they sort of calm down a little bit. And then we can talk about what actually made them angry in the first place how anger manifests itself within your body and what it feels like Uh, and i think it's really important that children and teenage boys is in particular know how to spot when they're feeling angry because then they can start to work out what the triggers are and start to break it down a bit more that way i think it's mentioned in boys don't try about how if you're shouting at this boy if you're turning a boy off he then has to square up to it to keep face almost amongst his friends. And that's something that I've definitely noticed in my new school, in my last school, not so much. There's very much in this school, there's very much a winner or loser kind of mentality. And trying to break them out of that is difficult and slow, but I think we can get there. Tell me more about that.
1: What do you mean by they have a winner or loser mentality?
7: It's almost like they either make fun of someone or they are the one being made fun of. So a lot of the boys, the smart boys who could do really well in school won't because they don't want to. And that's the conversation I've had with two different students last week in different classes. They're really smart. They come in with good grades. They want to do really well. They've got all the parental support behind them. But they don't perform in school, they don't put their hand up, they mess around because that's what their friends are doing and they don't want to be the nerd or the neek or the whatever term they're using now to describe someone who's smart. Hmm. And then the same can be said then if they're being challenged by a teacher, their option is to either just accept that or to respond with anger back to them that they can appear to be a hard man not bothered you know and then they walk outside so quite often i'll speak to them outside i won't ever speak to them in front
1: of their friends and they are completely different people do you feel schools have got a long way to go in terms of creating that culture where students have aspiration? um
7: there are barriers i suppose to them having those aspirations when they come into the Secondary School. Uh, We've got sixth form, so they're discussing options at the moment. Very few of them talk about university as being an option because quite a few of their parents haven't been to university. They would be the first one in their family to go. I'm in Wales now so rugby is a big event.
1: I mentored a boy in my previous school and he was a different boy when he was playing rugby. He could cope fine in school when it was rugby season. And as soon as rugby season stopped, his anger levels just rocketed. His coach, as far as I could gather, taught them anger management on the field. It's the
7: same with boxing. I noticed that those who were boxed knew how to manage their behaviour a bit better because of the discipline. Mm-hmm you know you keep it on the field or you keep it in the ring yeah and that is where you can channel it the other thing with boys who play a sport is that you can then lean on that as well for resilience you know they they didn't start being good at rugby pointing that out when they're feeling low or they're lacking in confidence then pointing out that you are a lot more resilient than you think you are go back try again uh, so reminding them that they are resilient people and they just need to find that. There are four teams in this very small town that I currently work in and they sometimes get involved. It's called the School of Hard Knocks. Ex-rugby players will come in and mentor students, but it'd be nice to have something similar then with non-sporting related things.
1: What about the boys that don't like rugby and they're no good at it? What happens to them?
7: yeah exactly and you know the boys who are are taking it you know i I don't want to say i'm here against it because it's brilliant it's really helping those students but it it is the ones who are disengaged in lessons so for quite a few of the boys they're looking at their friends who are worse behaved than they are who aren't doing as well in school as they are and they get to go play rugby one afternoon or they get to go speak to these impressive people Meanwhile, they're sort of plodding along, just trying their
1: best. I agree. And I think it's one of the things that concerns me about these sorts of programmes. It can look outwardly like you are rewarding poor behaviour, frankly. And how does that make the other boys feel? How does it make the girls feel? um...
7: And I try to talk about what it feels like to be angry. I'll talk about how their blood pressure will rise and I'll talk about how It's because of their, I call it the caveman brain. When I'm talking to them, you know, their, their caveman brain doesn't realize that them being upset by something isn't the fact that there's a tiger and it's going to eat them. Their brain can't differentiate between emotional and physical threats. So we need to calm the brain down somehow. So we go outside, it's getting your body ready to, to fight or run away so your blood is pumping around quicker your heart's racing you might feel thirsty you might get twitchy like i'm shaking at the moment because i'm nervous about doing this (laughs) that i'm safe whereas some other students who might feel nervous and have the same feelings might start to think it's just a bad a bad feeling so they're doing something wrong so they've got to stop so they go outside take your blazer or your jumper off take your water bottle with you take a few deep breaths If they're in a particular state, I'll play the alphabet game with them. Um, So they go through, um, and it's a strategy I use. Um, If I get particularly stressed or anxious about something, I'll go through the alphabet game and I will try to name different drag queens by their (laughs) letters. Uh, That's not an appropriate task for everybody. So it might be football players, rugby players. Uh, Someone last week used friends' characters And it just brings your rational brain back into play, your logical brain, and it it switches the focus then.
1: So you are working one-to-one with students, really teaching them emotional literacy.
7: Yeah, I tried to, and it's not just angry boys, I'll talk to anxious students as well in the same way. And I tried to pick up on body language as well in in the class, I had one boy, last time who refused to take his coat off and kept covering himself up. So we went outside. I said, take your coat off and he took it off, but then he had it in front of his chest. And he said, I, you know, I just didn't want to, I don't want to take my coat off. I don't want to do it. And I asked him if he was feeling a bit self-conscious because the PE tops that they were given are that horrible clingy material nobody enjoys wearing them but he had that on underneath his coat and when i asked him if he was self-conscious he said yes and then started to cry hmm. and it was just a really vulnerable moment for him and it was only because i'd seen him pulling his coats over and covering himself up that we were able to talk about it then so i gave him a lab coat which he felt comfortable in. He could still do the practical. And then I followed up with him then later about the way he feels about himself.
1: That could have played out so differently, couldn't
7: it? Oh yeah, definitely. Which is why I try not to speak to boys in front of other boys. I'll talk to them outside. And then they're, like I said earlier, they're just, they're different people when they're not around their friends. And I I try not to judge them for it because it must be quite difficult having to play a part you know i was finding with that difficult class they were so hard my first lesson with them one of them looked me up and down and went are you going to be our teacher for the next two years and i said yes and he said well i'm definitely swapping then brilliant lovely thank you so much
1: (gasps) don't they know how to
7: wound (laughs) yeah he's my best friend now so we're fine well done you (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he um, and quite a few of the boys in this school care a lot about things being fair. I can quite often say to them, you know, when well, I need to take your phone, I took his phone. So it's only fair I take your phone and then they go, yeah, fair enough. Absolutely. And like with that student who said that comment, you know, I said a few weeks later, like, oh, do you remember our first lesson together? No. Well, you said this. How do you think that made me feel? And he was realised that, you know, he didn't even give me a chance. I said, how do you think that would feel if I didn't give you a chance? And he said, I hate that. It's not fair. They don't get to know me. My teachers just decide they hate me. And I said, see, that's what you just did. You did that to me. And now yeah, we're we're okay now. He knows that I'm fair. Mm.
1: But But I think what you also did there, and that goes back to you teaching them emotional literacy. You also reminded him that the teacher is a human being which i think we often forget to do i think they see their teachers as someone who you know sailed through school found school easy did really well has had loads of privileges and i don't think they do see us as humans so i think it's really important to keep prodding them that we are
7: yeah i agree and i think um being a little bit more vulnerable with our students might help bridge those gaps a little bit yeah Uh, you know and say yeah i really struggled with this I wasn't particularly good at this, but I practiced and modelling, making mistakes and the way we think things through a few weeks ago, I was counting on my fingers <laughs> and then the year eights are going, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you just counted on your fingers. Like, are you not good at maths? Like, oh, I am good at maths. So I just need to count on my fingers sometimes. Give me a chance.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's hugely important and uh, I've, been open with students about having suffered from depression in the past Mm. and because i'm not i'm not a particularly call me emma type teacher if you then in a in an appropriate context like a pshe lesson just mention that you can see them going what 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 they're really surprised that i've said something like that
7: yes a lot of the strategies i've used have come from my own experience with counseling um, the worry tree. I don't know if you've ever come across that. That's one that I share. It starts with, what are you worried about? And you pick one thing and then it comes down. Is there anything you can do about it? If yes, can you do something about it now? Make a plan, do it now. If yes, can you do something about No, make a plan, do it later. And then if there's nothing you can do about it, distract yourself. And that's where we come up with listen to music, go for a walk, talk to a friend, talk to a trusted adult.
1: Mm. Um, Well, I think it sounds like you're doing a lot for those students, not least by being a female (laughs) engineer. (laughs) (laughs) Representation (laughs)
7: matters.
3: Mm. Well, it was obviously
2: an enormous shock to them.
7: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, quite. There are three girls who've signed up for sixth form for engineering. Yay! uh, And that is the first girl, all girls, that have signed up in at least the last 12 years.
1: Well, there you go. I mean, that says it all.
7: Wow. So we're gonna get some nice feminine energy.
1: In the <laughs> bit yeah. less testosterone, please. Yeah. A bit less testosterone. Absolutely. I think I'm, I might uh, make that a bit of a mantra. Uh, I think we would all benefit from that overall. Um, so I hope you have enjoyed uh, my tour through masculinity. My grateful thanks go to uh, Kathy Weston and to Rianne bourne for the interviews that they did with me earlier uh, in this uh, this week. Uh, also, really grateful to Lianne ringing in and telling me about her experiences with Year Six. That was fantastic. So uh, later on at one o'clock, we've got Joe Hammond. So do stay on the airwaves to listen to him if you can. I will be here at the same time this week, as always, but until then, enjoy your weekend, take care.
0: You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.